Hi everyone, this is Kevin Broom, and before we dive into the show, I just wanted to say a few words. Uh, I used to do this podcast with Ben Becker. My good friend moved on to do some other things, and we went on a long hiatus, but I'm reviving the podcast, and that podcast that I did with Ben Becker had a tone that was... uh, I guess you could call it analytical and maybe nerdy. I think somebody called it, said it had the an NPR vibe. And uh, if you didn't like that tone, well, I apologize. This one's not going to get any better. Ben was the cool one. At any rate, I will uh, try to bring on interesting guests, have interesting conversations where we talk Wizards, talk NBA, talk basketball, talk whatever else comes up along the way. And I hope you like it. Um, I'd appreciate your feedback. If you have any, uh, you can reach me on Twitter at Broom underscore Kevin. And so with that, we'll turn to today's episode where I talk with uh, Ben Mehich, my colleague at Bullets Forever. And we talk about uh, whether the Wizards should make a trade with Bradley Beal, specifically with the New Orleans Pelicans. Ben wrote about it. I read what he wrote. Had an instant disagreement. And went to write about it and found myself actually kind of agreeing with a lot of what he written. So we're going to talk about that, and we're also going to talk about the NBA's planned restart to the 2019-20 season and discuss a little bit about whether or not John Wall should consider playing in this eight-game restart. And so with that, we go to the show. Ben Mehich, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. How's it going? Yeah, good, good. It's um, I'm glad we could have a chance to chat. Um, we both wrote about the same subject. Actually, I was inspired to write by what you wrote um, because my gut reaction was to completely disagree with you on Brandon Ingram. And then I looked at the numbers and I was like, oh, uh, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. So um, why don't you take us back, go through what um, what you wrote about, and then we can um, we can just sort of kick it around from there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, first off, I gotta admit, I was um, deathly afraid of you um, either reading the article and <laughs> sending me like a scathing email because there wasn't much, you know, statistical analysis in it um, to really back up any of my thoughts on it. I kind of just went through with my gut and you know what I know about Brandon Ingram, just having watched him um, throughout the past few years particularly um, this season. But um, when, you, when you did kind of solidify my thoughts and um, verified the fact that, you know, he's been um, you know, really good um, over the past year or so, um, I, I guess I was kind of comforted by that. So first off, I, I guess I want to thank you for, for writing that article. But I, I guess the emphasis for that was just seeing, you know, all the chatter about Bradley you know, potentially being traded, which – comes to the territory and, you know, he's a superstar player. I don't know if you agree with that, but regardless, he's a, he's a star player on a bad team. And anytime you're in that circumstance, you're going to have um, chatter about that player getting traded and, and Beal's going to be in that predicament until the Wizards are good again. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm not, I'm not sold that that's going to happen while he's on the roster and to no fault of his own. So, um, you know, seeing the, the chatter about that, the Lakers obviously aren't a, um, you know, an option because they traded, you know, all their assets to get Anthony Davis, you know, you look at the scope of the league and, and which teams can offer a package that might even entice Tommy Shepard. 
I think, you know, New Orleans might be one of the only teams that can do that with the pieces that they got for Anthony Davis. Um, and, and I think, you know, I don't know what your thoughts on this, but if the Wizards were to trade Bradley Beal, you know, I, I assume they'll want a guy who could, you know, at some point in their career reach the level that Bradley has, you know, uh, an efficient scorer, uh, a prolific scorer. And I think Brandon Ingram has shown that you know, if he continues on his trajectory, if he stays healthy, you know, he'll probably be, you know, a 25, 26, 27 points per game scorer. And getting a player like that back at 22 years old, it's probably something that would interest the Wizards. And, um, you know, before they make any sort of conversation with the team uh, for Bradley Beal, you have to offer a player like that up. And I think the Pelicans are one of the only teams that can do that. So, um, you know, is a Beal trade inevitable? I don't know, maybe. Um, so I think if that time comes, it could be a realistic option for Bradley. Yeah. Um, so, boy, I'm, I'm kind of all over the place. The, one of the things, before I get into what I thought, though, because um, the, the deal that you hypothesized was it was uh, Ingram, Lonzo Ball, and either Jackson Hayes or Josh Hart. Were, now, were those just for salary ballast, or how, do, how, were, how was that deal constructed in your mind? See, in, in my head, and you might have stats that rebut this, but um, you know, maybe I'm biased just for having covered this team for as long as I have, but I don't know. I feel like Beal has solidified himself as probably a top two shooting guard in the NBA, and he's only 26 years old. And I think to get a player of his caliber back, a guy who can give you 30 points a night, um, a player who's shown, you know, I thought tremendous growth, maybe not statistically, I don't know if the stats back this, but I think he's added much more to his game than, you know, compare, compare the Bradley Beal from 2016 to the Bradley Beal in 2020. I think his game has gone, grown extra, exponentially. He's put in a ton of work. He's able to score off the dribble now, um, which he wasn't able to do when he first entered the league. So I think to get a player of his caliber back, you're probably going to have to give up. You know, the, the old saying is to get something, you have to give up something. And um, those players, you know, Ingram, again, we talked about his upside. I think Ball and Hayes both have similar um, upside, uh, even though they play different positions. You know, they're both uh, extremely athletic, and, and I think they both have upside defensively. Lonzo, 6'6", can guard 1, 2, 3. Jackson Hayes, similar to JaVale McGee, uh, similar build, highlight plays, um, you know, sick blocks and dunks, and I think he has the potential to possibly correlate that into being a really good defensive player. So I thought my thinking there was, you know, you're going to need players with upside to get a player like Bradley Beal. <clears throat> so that's yeah. why I threw those names in there. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, yeah. So when I went in, so just when I sat down to write that article and started doing the analysis, because my gut reaction was based a lot on having seen Ingram his first three years. And then I saw him a couple of times, you know, several times this season play um, some very good games and some not so good games. But my overall impression of him was I, I just wasn't blown away. Let's put it that way. You know, his first three years were pretty bad. This year was, um, I, I, I had in my head that he started off really well and then tapered down and had sort of steadily declined throughout the year. And when I looked, I sort of found that supported in the numbers. He did start really well. He did taper down. But then he leveled off at a really pretty round of PPA 150. That's my metric, you know, my production right. metric. And um, in PPA, uh, 100 is average. Uh, 150 is, uh, you know, higher is better. 150 is a, it's a good score. That's an all-star level player. Um, 
potentially, you know, he's a little below like an all BN all NBA type of level, but that's still a really solid player, right? Um, very good player. And like I said, an all-star level performer, even in the West. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah. And I think what stood out from reading your article was that 32% of his games played, he had a 200 or, or higher PPA, which is MVP candidate level. And well, I think that was, uh, I was, was it really that that's, high? that's what you, I, I'm reading I, your, I'm looking remember. at it now. So maybe, maybe you were wrong in calculating this, but it says 32% of his games were 200 plus PPA, which is MVP candidate level. And, you know, I, I'll, I'll trust you there um, <laughs> because that is your own stat. But, you know, that really, uh, no, I thought, correct. I yeah. thought that, um, I don't know, I, I saw that and I was one surprised by it, but also, I mean, that I thought solidified him at, and really kind of verified the fact that he has had an outstanding season. And, but also, I, I put a lot of value in the fact that he's only 22. And, of course, maybe this, this, you know, this could end up being his best year and he could level off or he could drop off. That's, that's happened with other players. But sure. the fact that he's 22 and, and, I don't know, watching him play, he's, he's got such great foot, footwork in the post. He seems to have a ton of comfort shooting that fadeaway jump shot. He's, he's really smooth and the talent is apparent, you know. Um, and, yeah. and the players yes. you listed there that have similar seasons, Paul George, Brad Beal, CJ McCollum, Devin Booker, Gordon Hayward, these are all all-star level players. And, and I think that's an exciting yes. thing for you know, the Pelicans. And you know, if this trade were to go down, I think that'd be an awesome get for the Wizards. Yeah, so it's, you mentioned the age, and that leads me to you know, something that I didn't do for the, the, the article that I wrote, but um, I've done since. And that is I did a, basically just a simple forecast uh, for each of the players uh, over the next five years. And um, so with Ingram, so just real quick with Beal, Beal's already hit basically where he's going to be. I have him with a PPA 162 this year. You would mention superstar. A lot of people talk about him like as a superstar. Um, you know, P MVP level is like 200 and above. This 162 puts him sort of borderline all NBA you know, depending on how you look at it, you can sort of squint your way to get Beal on third team all NBA this year. But um, that's about it. That's not like the super, superstar level, right? Um, so with um, Beal, what, what happens typically, just applying a standard aging curve, is he actually pretty much holds steady for the next couple of years and then starts tapering down because he's getting older. Right. With Ingram, of course, just being 22, if I take his PPA from this season, 138, he would peak. Um, basically, he would be almost as good as Beal next season. And then he would continue to rise for several more seasons, peaking around probably like a 175, 180, somewhere in there, which would be probably could get him to an all, all NBA level, you know, second or third team, um, probably third team at that level. That's if you take the 138. But one of the things that also showed up when I looked at the, the numbers is, he, like I said, he hovered around 150. He finished at 138. But a big reason he finished at 138 is because he sprained his ankle late in the season. And when he came back, he wasn't as good. He was wildly inconsistent over that, like, 10 or 12 games that he played when he came back. My guess is based on how his ankle felt, you know, from game to game. Um, is, is how he performed. And so if I took that 150 as kind of his baseline, then he's, you know, would be closer to peaking at like a 190. But I have a, let's forget that, you know, because those sprained ankle games do count too. 
So, but if I run a five-year uh, PPA on him, it would be about a 171. Beals would be 140. And um, Ball, by the way, I also ran the numbers on Ball. Um, he was a 122 this season, above average point guard. And um, he would probably get up into the like mid-150s. And his five-year PPA would be 151. So that would also be ahead of Beals. And this is just because both these guys are so incredibly young. And Jackson Hayes, who knows, right? I mean, it's it's almost impossible to tell. We'll know a lot more after next season. But he's only 19, and he's – I've got him with an 87 this season, so he's a little below average. But for a 19-year-old, that's pretty terrific, you know? Yeah, and, and just looking at, you know, the raw physical attributes of all these guys and the upside they have and – um, I don't know. I, I'd love to get your thoughts more on, on Lonzo Ball because I don't have the numbers in front of me and I, and I haven't ran them, nor have I ever look in, looked in depth um, with regards to Lonzo Ball. But you know, just watching him play, you look at just the base, basic stats. The guy shoots like 50% from the free throw line. Um, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that kind of doesn't bode well, right? I mean, if you have a guard that shoots that poorly, how many of those guards actually end up being you know, um, contributing scores or contributing offensive players, right? That doesn't tend to happen, I don't think, at least. So with him, I don't know. I've never been sold on him, truth be told. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I guess I just wanted to get your thoughts on Lonzo because you, know, I th- you just said that uh, you ran that stat and at a certain point in his career, yeah, he, yeah. Could, he could, um, you know, be better than Bradley Beal, I guess is what you're saying. And that, to me, that I can't compute that, I guess, is having watching a well, play right now. So it, it, better is, is one of those things. So is he going to be a better offensive player than Bradley Beal? No, he's not. I'm talking, but a point that I used to make with Ben Becker is uh, you, you got to take the whole player. And so, and the, you get to take the whole player. In, in Ball's case, he, he did improve his three-point shooting this season. His, you know, he was 38% from there, 57% from the free throw line. Um, not too good, not too good, right? But he he rebounds extremely well for a guard. He um, he he has a high assist rate, and he is a terrific defender. You know, very very good defender. Like you said, he can defend it at least three positions, and very well. He's one of the better defenders in the league. And um, the Wizards could really use somebody like that. Um, and. He's got to obviously continue to retool his shot, re- rebuild it, you know, build on his shot. Um, and also he could probably stand using fewer possessions. He was a little bit over 20%. It would be great if he could get to a situation where he didn't have to use um, as many possessions. But he's really good in transition. He's a very good defender, good rebounder. He's one of those guys who can pull down the rebound and take it to the other end, set up teammates. And like I said, very, very good defender. So to me, that's, that's where he brings value um, is, and he's also, and this year he's also been able to be an effective spot up shooter. So that at least is, is an area where he can contribute on the offensive. end. And, you know, with all things considered, everything you said, um, the package we mentioned, this hypothetical, I think it would probably be beneficial for the wizards to pull the trigger just because you know, they're not winning a championship anytime soon with, with Beal and Wall. And it's probably best to expedite the rebuild and get players with upside like Lonzo and, and Ingram and, and possibly even Hayes there. And so what really struck me when reading your article is said that you wrote that, you know, Beal's going to stay in Washington for as long as he wants. And whether or not even this potential option is on the, 
on the table. What makes you say that? Is it just because the history of the Wizards, they want to keep Wallen, Ballen, or excuse me, Wallen and Beal on the same <laughs> team for as long as, yes. as possible? Do you think they actually, do you think that Shepard actually um, would want to do that? Or do you think that's just good PR because he doesn't want to create rift between the team or, or what? Well, so I've had conversations with folks over there who are running the team through the years, and they've always had a higher opinion of Beal than I than I've than I have than I've thought was warranted. Let's put it that way. Um, they think of him as like a true superstar, as like a one of the you know pantheon like top ten impact players in the league. I don't believe he's at that level, and they. And whether they believe that or not, they, at least that's what they say they believe, right? And whether they believe that truly, like in their heart of hearts or not, that's the way they've treated him. That's the way they've treated him and they've, and the way they've treated Wall. And Wall is another guy, I think, that um, the, the front office decision makers, the team itself has had a higher opinion of him than I think has been warranted based on what he's done. I think Wall has been very good. I don't think he's been like at that elite level of, you know, the, the true pantheon, the Giannis, LeBron, James Harden, um, Steph Curry, those kinds of guys. He's, he's never been at that level, right? So when I say that Beal is going to stay as long as he wants, it's because I think the team has pretty well committed to him. Ted Leonsis uh, really likes him and wants him to be part of this team. He likes the idea of, uh, you know, sticking with a guy. I mean, we saw that with Ernie Grunfeld for friggin' ever, right? So, um, that that's really what I was writing about um, and w- what I meant with when I wrote that. Um, and then in terms of though, in making this trade, like if new Orleans, like it, when I look at it from new Orleans side of things, I don't see why they would do it. I think they'd be better off just sticking with the guys they have letting it grow. But if for some reason they decided, you know, we need to make a deal and we, we need to get, get Bradley Beal. I think the wizards come out far enough ahead with this, that they would, they would increase their chances of winning they would win more games over the next four or five years with making this trade than they would if they kept Beal and tried to build. With so I have. think that's probably why I, I got so much concern reading that um, because, you know, you'd hope that, you know, Tommy Shepard having worked alongside Ernie Grunfeld for as long as he has, uh, for as long as he did, would try to not repeat the same mistakes as Ernie. And I'm sure that, um, you know, Ernie's had multiple opportunities to, trade these players that they've coveted for for as long as they have and maybe um, for reasons that they shouldn't and and failed to execute on trades that probably would have benefited the team in the immediate or if not in the not too distant future you know for example the James Harden trade that they just didn't do because they wanted to keep Bradley Beal and and, and uh, have him grow with mm-hmm. with John Wall so I don't know I'd like to believe that, that Tommy Shepard has has learned from those mistakes and um would trust the metrics that, you know, if they're in front of him, I imagine that similar metrics um, are, are uh, if they're in front of you, I'm sure they're in front of him as well. So uh, that's, they should that's, have better metrics. Than right. So I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I'd hope that, you know, as heartbreaking as it might be for the fan base, losing a player like Beal, who they've watched grow in Washington and, and uh, has had some spectacular moments in the playoffs. And, you know, maybe the Beal and Wall combo didn't live up to its potential. And I think we'd probably both agree that it didn't, but, um, you know, saying goodbye to a player like that would be tough. But if you can get a package back like the one we have discussed today, I don't, I don't know why he'd say no to it, just for the sake of continuity and, 
And, you know, that's our guy. That's Brad's our guy. So we're going to max him out or keep him for as long as we have. That seems kind of, you know, the wrong way to operate a team, I think. And I guess I'm, I'm optimistic that he wouldn't just because he's been in Washington for seemingly decades and has seen these sort of bad, you know, these trades not come to fruition for that reason and probably, um, you know, kick himself over that. So I don't know. I'd hope that they wouldn't repeat those mistakes. Yeah. Well, the, okay. Let, let me see how I can say this. So, because one, I, I mean, I, I really like Tommy. He's, he's been a great guy. He's always been, you know, he's, I've written about this. I've talked about this. He's, you know, he knows everyone in the league. He's, he's just, he's a really good guy. He's always been a straight shooter. He's always like, you know, answered questions and talked and all that kind of stuff. And so um, I've always appreciated, you know, the, the, the guy that he is. The thing I would say is he's also, he, you know, he was, part of the all in on Jan Vesely. He was um, all in on trying to um, make Vesely into sort of a Dirk Nowitzki type of player here, instead of trying to just let him be a rim runner and get acclimated, which is actually how he performed well during that, like a stretch of about six weeks as a rookie is that he was basically playing defense, rebounding and rim running. And then they tried to make him play like, you know, Dirk. And that really wasn't, what he was and that it ended up losing. So he was all part of that. And then you go back even further when he was in Denver, you know, he was part of the team that picked the Nicolo Skidisvili, who is one of the worst uh, draft picks ever. I mean, that was <laughs> just, just a total bust in the, in the U S. So, um, you know, Tommy's been, he's been here in Washington for 17 years. He, you know, I certainly have hopes because I, I like him. I, I've thought for a long time, you know, for, for several years that he would be a good general manager um, somewhere. I, I, if, if it was my choice, I would not have hired him to run the Wizards, in, in, you know, after Ernie Grunfeld, not after having, you know, been Ernie's number two guy for, for 16 years. That I, I think it's difficult to, um, for somebody on the inside to bring about a major um, culture change, which I think the team needed, the franchise needed, um, you know, from the inside, that's, that's a heavy lift. And he's part, been part of that culture for, like I said, for 16 years. So, but he, he is, he's really a thoughtful and um, good guy. And if anybody could do it, it's him. So, you know, I, I'm certainly, I'm pulling for him to do well. Um, but I will say that through the years, he and I have had our, uh, shall we say, disagreements on, various basketball topics um so <laughs> and um like i said it's always been great conversations we've gone back and forth and sometimes he's been right and sometimes he's been wrong so um yeah that's kind of where i would leave it with, with yeah so I, I guess um for any of this to even happen it would probably have to come from beal himself you know if john wall returns and doesn't look like the john wall of old um as he says he is and, and Beal finally gets sick of losing. And I don't know, at points of the season, he was noticeably frustrated and expressed his frustrations, which is completely normal and to be expected. And if he didn't, it would, it would be odd. Um, but, you know, I could see a situation where, you know, John returns and, you know, he hasn't, if he hasn't played a game in two years, coming off one of the worst basketball injuries you can have, doesn't look very good. And the Wizards continue losing. And, Beal finally has had enough. And I think 
I don't know if that would be the worst thing for the Wizards because if, if they are stubborn or if Tommy is sold on Buell um, and if the organization thinks that he can be the leading man, which I, I don't know. I don't think he's proven that he can be, although his numbers um, are extraordinary. It really hasn't translated to wins yet. So I think it wouldn't be the worst thing yeah. in the world if you know Buell does have an honest conversation with the front office um, and, and says that, you know, it's time for me to part ways, which really wouldn't be a, out of the realm of possibility, given that it seems to be a you know, common trend amongst star players in the NBA. Yeah, yeah. So let's leave that there, that topic, Beal and the trade. I think we're both kind of doom and gloom, though, in general. It wasn't just, it? That was kind of doom and gloom. Say it again. It? But I guess that's to be expected with any sort of Wizards conversation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're, here's the thing. We're, we're, I think we're both thinking that it's best for the Wizards to go ahead and trade him. But I think part of the reason I'm I'm not just like trade him just to, just to trade him, right? I'm like get something for him so that the team can, can unless be he shows up to practice run. with this like kind of trade. Jimmy Butler style and just you know <laughs> beats <laughs> whatever the Wizards starters are at that point with um, you know the Water Boys. See, here's the thing. I think Beal, if Beal decided to ever force his way out, I. I can't imagine that he could do something like what Jimmy Butler did at that, uh, at that practice. I think that he would have to get his agent to do something because I, I think he's too good and too like nice of a person. You know, he's competitive. He's uh, he's, he wants to win. He wants to do well, all that kind of stuff. But I think he's too nice a person to try to pull what, what Jimmy Butler It wouldn't be the practice. craziest thing to happen in 2020. If we read a, a tweet from, from Waj saying Bradley Beal showed up to practice with Gilbert Arenas and a chubby Karan Butler and beat the starters with by 30 points, you know, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, perfect. So, all right, let's, let's talk uh, restart. So the league has decided to restart, I guess, at the end of July, um, the, the bubble, and they're going to go to a, a complex in Disney where 22 teams, the Wizards are going to be one of them, will be um, – have a chance to play for get into the playoffs. The Wizards have are what five and a half games out of eighth place. They have to get to fourth, which realistically means they have eight games to make up two on Orlando to force a play in. Then they have to beat Orlando twice to make the playoffs. So what, what do you think? Um, what are their I odds? think their odds are probably about the same as yours dating Halle Berry. So not. The best <laughs> odds in the world. Still, you know, you got a puncher's chance if you run into her at like a Wegmans or um, a BJ's or something. But um, not. I don't think their chances are great. You look at their schedule. They play Boston twice, I believe. They play Milwaukee twice. Um, I, they play Philadelphia, Oklahoma City. Those are all. Um, you know, you can pencil those in as losses, and then you know, they might be Brooklyn, and and I think they also play Phoenix, and that might be a potential win. So I think at best they go two and six and don't, you know, come close to making up the ground. And unless, you know, Orlando just completely craps the bed there, but I think, but it will be cool to watch them play if, if, if nothing else, I don't know. I don't know about you. Do you think they have a better chance than, than I? Yeah. No, 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 no. I, I, I took a look. I, I looked at their schedule and it started with me just kind of looking at their, you know, simple rating system as, or as I write about it, the, the, strength of schedule adjusted scoring margin. And I noticed that the wizards, it's like one of these things is not like the other. The wizards are by far the weakest team of the 22 and they 
really don't, I don't think they have a realistic chance. The average team they're likely to play is going to be probably about eight points per game better than they've been. And um, I think they have a much better chance of going, you know, zero and eight than they do of forcing a play in, even forcing the play in, even just making up the two games. So I think realistically, they're not going to lose. They're the weakest team, but I don't think they're going to lose all eight. Um, no matter who they play, I think that they'll probably win like, you know, one or two, maybe, maybe, maybe get to three, but I don't, I I think that they would need to win, you know, five or six to realistically have a shot at making up two on Orlando because Orlando should win probably three or four of their games. So I just think it's really, really improbable. They've got as good a chance as they could possibly have, but, I don't have any reason to believe that the wizards are suddenly going to play against, you know, a bunch of playoff teams are suddenly going to play excellent basketball and beat, you know, win five or six of, of these next eight against, like I said, playoff teams, even if those playoff teams are not that interested in, in playing some of these. Games. Yeah. We're living in a strange time though. I mean, it really wouldn't be that crazy if the wizards went on an insane run and, and won a championship in front of not a single fan. Um, I don't know. I, I just, um, I don't know. I, I guess I want to ask you how you think they should approach this because, you know, looking at the schedule, they don't have great odds. Um, Beal has played a heavy load all season. I think it would be kind of uh, beneficial if they just, you know, benched Beal or, or played him a substantially less amount than they have and kind of figured out what they have with these young players and Isak Bonga and, and Troy Brown and, and uh, Jerome Robinson who are kind of, I don't know uh, how you feel about this, but it's hard to differentiate, you know, those three guys. And then you um, put in uh, Garrison Matthews in there as well. They're all kind of the same player. Uh, none of them great. None of them have really stood out um, amongst the pack. So I think it would be beneficial if they took this time instead of gunning for the playoffs, which uh, are an improbability to, um, to actually try and figure out which of these players is worth keeping around because you can't have, you know, three, four, five of the same players um, on your roster, and the same thing goes with you know Thomas Bryant and um, and Mo Wagner as well. I think you have to figure out which of these guys is worth keeping around long term. So how, how do you how do you think they should approach it from that respect? Yeah, I kind of lean more towards where where what you're thinking. What they what I think they're going to do though is is they'll run Beal, right. um, play Beal a bunch of minutes, especially in the first few games. Um, you know. My guess is they'll, you know, here's the thing. If they win, like, you know, their first two, they're going to really want to push. And then, you know, they might <laughs> still lose their last six, you know, because it's a, it's a tough, it, the, the group that they have to play their next eight, with, which is what the league looks like they're going to do, is is going to be pretty tough. Um, you know, that it's, it's interesting. They have a bunch of guys at the same position. I mean, I think like at the wing, Troy Brown is clearly the best of them. Um, Garrison Matthews is pretty interesting because of his shooting. Um, Bonga is, is an interesting guy. He was a lot better this season than I thought he was going to be. Um, so, you know, Brown is a really good defender. I think he's got a lot of potential. Um, the Wizards, though, seem to think that he's like a backup small forward, and I think that he would be better used. I wrote about this a few weeks ago. I think he would be better off if they made him like a third guard 
and uh, you know gave him some ball handling opportunities, some ball handling responsibility. But that he doesn't fit what Scott Brooks wants from a point guard. He likes speed at the point guard. He wants guys who can get into the lane, and um, that's that's not Troy Brown. He's not a fast guy. He's not somebody who's going to get into the lane, not without a lot of help from, from a good screen, you know? So, um, and then in terms of like Bryant and, and Wagner, um, I mean, I think Bryant is pretty significantly better. Their per minute stats and, or per possession stats are pretty similar, but um, Bryant has a higher degree of difficulty because he's going up against uh, opposing starters and, you know, teams generally start their better players. So he faces the team's toughest lineups typically, uh, and and then he sits and d- doesn't really get a chance to come back often. So and he's he's really an interesting player. Um, I've written about him as well. You know his defense is definitely a weak spot, but it's it's difficult to, this season to you know this season everybody was sort of handicapped by having um, Isaiah Thomas on the roster and. Bryant was probably the most hurt by it. And that's what showed up, at least in the player pair data that I looked at that, you know, when Bryant was on the floor without Thomas, they were basically break even about what they were the last season. And when he was on the floor with Thomas, it was like (laughs) 15 points per hundred possessions worse. It was just unbelievable. I mean, they were still bad defensively when he was on the floor um, without Thomas, you know, they were still pretty bad, like, but it was kind of a generic league, you know, really just bad defense, um, kind of, kind of bad. It wasn't like historically, epically, tragically awful, which is what it was when I said yeah, Thomas he, he was dealt with a number of injuries this year too. And I think he tried playing through them and, and that hurt him too. But, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a wizards group chat with uh, other writers and, you know, I'm not, I'm not ready to give up on Troy Brown and, and Thomas Bryant. Um, but you know, a lot of people, I don't know if we want to get into this now, but you know, uh, these people I'm in a group chat, but they often float the idea of getting a miles Turner. They think, you know, someone like him can shore up the defense, but you know, I don't know how you feel about that. I, I'm not particularly sold on him. Just looking at the basic numbers center is giving you six rebounds a game is kind of uh, worrisome, but he does, I think, give you more than two blocks a game. So, um, I don't know how you stand on that. Do you think giving up a player like Brian and, and, uh, and, and Troy Brown for Miles Turner would be beneficial, or do you not even want to discuss that because you haven't run the numbers yet? Well, I've, I've looked at the numbers because I've been flirting with okay. writing about that for a while, and I've just sort of been holding off. But I am not convinced that Miles Turner is better right wow. now than Thomas Bryant is. Because remember, you've got to take the whole player. And Turner, like, if you look at the per-possession numbers, Bryant uh, gets more rebounds. I think he has more assists. He's much, much more efficient on offense. Much better offensive player than uh, than than Turner. I mean, early this season, you know, Bryant, a lot of fans were getting unhappy because Bryant was taking mid-range jumpers and long twos and some threes, and they weren't really hitting. But as the season wore on, his those numbers came up, and he shot really well on jumpers this season. I mean, not so that I would want him taking a whole bunch of long twos, mainly because I don't really want anybody taking long twos unless they're shooting like 50%. He was closer to like, you know, low to mid 40s, but that's still significantly, you know, pretty solidly better than league average. He shot well from three point range and he converts like crazy. I mean, he's 80 plus percent from the rim 
over the last two seasons, each of the last two seasons. So uh, Miles Turner doesn't do that. He's, he's not that kind of player. And there, so he would need to be like worlds better than like, I'm talking like he would need to be like Ben Wallace level defense to offset what he costs you on defense on, on the offensive end, excuse me. He, he does, he shoots better. I mean, he's got more offensive game than say Ben Wallace does, but he's, he's definitely a better defender than Thomas Bryant is, but that doesn't mean he's a better player overall. You know what I'm saying? Cause like I said before, you've got to take, you, you have to take the whole player. And uh, so, you know, if Thomas Bryant is basically an average defender and the team is base, basically the same when he's on the floor or when he's off and he can be a really productive offensive player for you. Well, that's, that's pretty good. You know, that's, that's a pretty good player. So I'm, I'm not nearly as down on, on Bryant. He didn't improve this season, but I don't think it's very fair to say that he got worse, you know, and uh, we'll see what he can do defensively. Cause remember he's what. Yeah, exactly. Himself. And I think of all the players that um, we're looking forward to seeing if the <laughs> NBA does end up resuming and, and there's talks that they're running into issues uh, with that. But um, you know, I think more than any other player on the roster, I'm interested to see what Thomas Bryant looks like after this layoff, because he has been dealing with, nagging injuries and he had a really good year um, before this season and I was hoping he could build on it but like you said didn't didn't seem to improve much I think it's probably uh, a ton of that can be attributed to the fact that he he was playing through injuries and, and had issues staying healthy this year so you know with this layoff he probably had a, a good chunk of time to, to rehab and, and to get back to um, 100% so I am interested to see what he looks like once the season does re-up yeah so last thing to talk about, well, maybe last, we'll see where we go, but we've talked about the restart and one of the topics that's been being floated about, we you touched on it earlier, is whether or not the Wizards should let John Wall play in these last eight games. Now, the team has said he's not going to play. He said he's not going to play. So this is highly speculative. Of course, we're just talking here. Um, probably not going to influence the decision in any way because it's already made, you know? So, yeah. So what, what, what do you think? What, what, what should the wizards do with uh, John wall? What should they do? Not what are See, they? I do, mean, I, I, I can't um, say that, you know, they must play him if he's not comfortable playing or the team's not um, comfortable playing him, but you know, it's been you know quite some time. How many months has it been since he since he tore his Achilles? It's been well over a year at this point, right? Yeah, we tore yeah, it. Yeah, it, like it was January. January, I think, of 2019. Like, and towards the end of January, so we're looking at now what 16 months. Yeah, and, and he's been scrimmaging with players, and and he's gone through full practices. Um, and I think the only hurdle there is the fact that he's probably not in the best basketball shape. But with all this time off, you know, with three months off, um, with this upcoming training camp and all the time, he's had virtually all the time in the world to, to get in basketball shape. It is, you know, and I get, again, he's been dealing with injuries really throughout the entire course of his career. And um, I get why they'd be hesitant to play him. But, you know, it's been a really long time and um, he's been practicing and scrimmaging 
Um, I think he's gone through full contact for, for a long time now. And it is, it is, it, it does strike me as a bit odd that they've been so um, hesitant to play him. And, and he has been um, really cautious with that. Um, I think it would be worthwhile for him yes. to play just to see how he, uh, you know, how he looks out there and, and maybe regain some confidence heading into, you know, next season, because if he, if he were to come back and, and look, like John Wall of old, or at least show some flashes of, of being that player. I think it would give, you know, someone like Bradley Beal confidence heading into next year and the franchise confidence, knowing that they got, you know, another all-star waiting to, to um, play next year. But um, it is, it does strike me as a bit odd that, that he's not playing and, and the team has been hell bent on, on, you know, having him, uh, having him sit for this. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, just like another log on the fire there is he's he has said he's told reporters that he's one hundred ten percent healthy. I don't know how you how you get there, but right. yeah. <laughs> I'd like to have one hundred and ten percent health, right? But um, so he's saying he's healthy, and it'll be interesting. I, in theory, the league could sort of insist that he plays, or they at least is part of the team because he's he's saying he's healthy, which would suggest probably that he should be playing. Right. Um, I'm pretty, I'm not sure that it makes too much difference. You know, I wrote about this last summer uh, looking at players who had extended layoffs at the time. I was looking at it. I think I was looking for players who missed two or more seasons, um, half, at least half of their games in two or more seasons. And I looked at guys who were all-star level. So, basically people like John Wall who missed half of their games in two or more seasons because of injuries. And what were they like when they finally returned in Wall's case, of course, it'll be um, two half seasons or at least half seasons followed by a full season. The last of which was the Achilles tear. And it's rough, you know, players who come back from that long a layoff because of injury, it's not like they come back and they're fresh, you know, and they, they end up being, being good because they, you know, they've had a chance to rest or whatever it is that people think, or they come back and there's like, well, I'm healthy. And so I'm going to be able to play well and all that kind of stuff. It, it really hasn't worked out that way. There's, you know, Grant Hill is probably the biggest success story of a guy who was an all-star level. He missed, um, you know, um, several seasons or parts of several seasons. And then he finally came back. He wasn't what he was, but he did end up getting to the point where he was at least very good again, you know, but most players, they lose, um, you know, 60 to 70 points off of their PPA in Wall's case, that would take him down to basically about league average um, from all NBA level, you know? So <laughs> that's pretty yeah, rough. I mean, know? I guess I'm hopeful that, you know, Grant Hill's case was probably what more than a decade ago at this point um, that, that he's had training that maybe Grant Hill hasn't and, and maybe science has improved enough. I don't know if it's proved that much and, you know, over the past decade or so, but you know, I, I, John's probably a bit younger than Grant was, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, when he suffered that injury, but, or is he older? I don't know. What? Okay, so I don't know. I guess... I'm um... not sure. I'd have to look that up. I mean, the, the best argument in favor right. of that he's going to be back is medical science is advanced, you know, training is advanced, and the techniques are better, the, the tools are better, the, the, the surgeries and all that kind of stuff, they're all better than they used to be. 
Um, so we'll see. I mean, it's uh, this is, looking at history is always imperfect, but you know, because nothing ever goes exactly as you as you'd think. But I think it's dangerous to just assume that Wall is going to come back being, you know, an all NBA level performer, you know, third team ish, whatever you want to call it, or even all star level. You know, I think it's it's unlikely. That so what we've that learned uh, from this podcast today is that um, <laughs> things aren't great for the Wizards, I guess. And that's probably what we're um, used to and, and should expect. But who knows? Maybe we're pleasantly surprised once um, Wall returns and, and um, he does look good or something like that. Who knows? Yeah. So, I mean, like if we're looking for reasons to be hopeful, that for, for Wizards fans to be hopeful, right? right? So Rui Hachimura was pretty good this year as a rookie, right? Uh, Troy Brown was was pretty solid in in – in, in his second season and you know he's pretty good as John Hollinger has said it would be good if like the Wizards coaching staff noticed that he's pretty good but you know he, he was at least okay around league average this year so those two guys are, are not bad and they should have a pretty high draft pick although it's a uh, you know it's a really weak draft we can talk about that another day maybe but it's uh th- those would be the big reasons and then you know probably Thomas Bryant being a really good offensive center with uh, who works hard and maybe he can learn to be at least a, a decent defensive center. And so maybe they've got three, three young guys who can, who can be part of a future there. And then after that, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess there was some know. hope in, in Davis Bertans. I don't, they probably could have <laughs> traded them and gotten a first round pick for him or another young asset, but um, you know, he came onto the scene and, and burst and, and became, yeah. you know, probably uh, one of the best three point shooters in the NBA. So that was that was fun to watch this year. And if, and if they do keep him around, as, as they said they want to do, um, you know, if John comes back and is even league average, like you say, um, I think you know having a player like Wall with his passing ability next to Bertans and, and Beal, even if it doesn't translate to wins, it would probably be fun to watch. So we'll have. Exactly. Yeah, I will say that 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 would definitely be fun. You know, the wall being a good passer, Beal, Bertans, yeah. that would be should be a fun and entertaining watch. Um, you know, Thomas Bryant, maybe they could get him <laughs> some tapes of Martin Gortat setting screens. And um, I, I will say this: that uh, Thomas Bryant setting screens for John Wall, like I'm a healthy, truly like explosive John Wall would be a heck of a lot of fun both uh, for the role as the role man and both as a, like a pick and pop because he could do either one. And um, I think that would pretty well be devil defenses because, you know, you put uh, Bryant would be able to fade to the three. He finishes 80% plus around the rim. And then you have like Beal, you've got Berton. So those are all things we definitely have to to look forward to. Maybe, maybe not this, this summer, but um, in October or whenever the season starts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, I think we just hit like 48 minutes. Wow. So that's like an NBA game. And I, I think uh, we are officially, officially gassed here. Uh, we're not going to do overtime. And <laughs> so Ben, thanks very much for uh, joining me talking to me today. And uh 
Yeah, of course. I, I don't know if I'll be the permanent we'll replacement for Ben Becker, but um, you know, the, the streak of Ben's on, on the podcast continues for sure.